Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, John. Yes. The Kickstarter that we've discussed uh, in each of our last two episodes from Strom Cycling. Uh, yes. I am pleased to report that they are at $67,541 of their $75,000 goal with 15 days left to go. I think they're going to make it. I think they're going to make it too. I hope that we had a small part to play in their making of it. Well, I'm pleased to note that uh, the vast majority of my uh, of our colleagues out there uh, who also know and love Dave have really stepped up with the coverage. They've They've really gotten super solid coverage on this, and I'm just really pleased to see uh, things working for them. That is excellent. Yeah. That is excellent. Yeah. And uh, in your corner of the world, is it, I mean, my experience of, of spring in New England was that it was 45 and raining until one day it was 80. We have had a long spell of really nice weather. Hmm. Um, this morning I went, uh, bicycling in the mountainous style, uh, with my friend and, and erstwhile companion, Jonathan, and we went to a place that is new, was new to both of us. And when we arrived there, I think it was like 57 degrees and sunny, mm -hmm. uh, which is well nigh perfect. Uh, and this new place, which is just over the line, the state line in New Hampshire, like literally just over the state line, I think the trail system may touch the state line. Um, it was fantastic. Mm. Um, the New England Mountain Bike Association, mm -hmm. also known as NEMBA, yep. uh, has been in there laying out the twistiest swoopiest sweetest bunch of trails i i had a great time <laughs> it sounds like it yes yeah. I, i've been having a real nice time on the bi bicycle very cool and the weather the weather to your to your to answer your question is a big part of that soon i'm sure it will be oppressively hot uh but you know eat and drink today for tomorrow we die uh true truer words and all that Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Shall we get to the business? I th I think that's what we're supposed to do here. It's business time. All right. Um, I am not an economist. You know that. <laughs> that's uh, a note to start on. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know it. Uh, everyone knows it. But I'm saying it now because I'm going to remind you I said it in just a minute. 
Uh, this is what is known in the rhetorical game as a setup. Oh, yeah. So it's shaping up to be a tough year in the bike business. Uh, the explanation for this isn't very convoluted or complex, I think. Uh, in 2020, as the pandemic sent everyone home, the demand for bikes and bike stuff exploded. Mm-hmm. Due to the factory shutdowns uh, in Asia, but also in this country, pretty much everywhere, uh, that demand could not be supplied. In 2021 and 2022, as things eased with the pandemic, the industry boomed. Uh, mm-hmm. Money flooded in. All the products sold. It was a dream scenario that many shop owners had never seen before. Yep. As an aside, the ones I know didn't all the way love it because honestly, it meant working nonstop to keep up. And, (laughs) you know, there is too much of a good thing. People don't typically get into the bike business because they love working. Anyway, um, (laughs) meanwhile, headwinds in the larger economy were developing. All that demand drove inflation. The mm-hmm. prices of bikes and bike things went up. That's what inflation is. Uh, and consumers began to feel ambivalent about both their free time, because we were all heading back to work, and their spending, because the media wrote endless stories about inflation and what it might mean for the near future. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said at the beginning... I'm not an economist, and so my reading of what has happened in the bike industry might just be the ranting of a guy with a philosophy degree and too much time on his hands. I'll grant you that. Okay. The media also contains precious few economists. And (laughs) from my vantage point, there's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy to economic journalism. If you write enough articles about a coming recession, consumers alter their behavior, and trigger a recession. Mm -hmm. If you are paying attention, you will know that we are not currently in a recession, despite the fervent prognostications thereof. I have my own ideas about why we are where we are, but once again, I'll say I'm not an economist. (laughs) The upshot... That's right. The I warned you. Uh, the upshot of all this, and the reason I'm talking about it today, is that the bike industry is experiencing a supply chain overload. Mm-hmm. Many companies forecast continued demand where none materialized. And so shops are full of stuff and low on cash. Mm-hmm. A cursory glance around the market will tell you that a whole lot of stuff is on sale. And this is the wrong, capital W, wrong time of year to be discounting new gear. Usually, (laughs) that happens after the spring demand spike. Mm -hmm. Right? So, Mm -hmm. we all sort of hunker down for the winter, and then when the weather gets nice and and, uh, people start thinking about riding again, that's when demand is highest, uh, and prices should also be highest. Mm Mm-hmm. but stuffed with inventory, shops are like, oh, we got to get rid of this stuff. And manufacturers are like, the shops are full. We have to get rid of this stuff, too. So everyone's trying to get rid of their stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes this an excellent time to shop for a new bike and any other bike related thing you might need. Mm-hmm. I make this point 
not to drive the grinding wheel of capitalism ever faster, but because I know a lot of small business owners who would really appreciate your patronage right now. (laughs) As I've said four times now, I'm no economist, but I'd (laughs) wager a little of the economic analysis you're paying attention to, I'm sorry, I'd wager little of the economic analysis you're, you're paying attention to is very prescient. Our economy is a complex, massively interdependent system. A new bike, by contrast, is a pure and simple joy. <laughs> That's a closer right there. That's yep. what that is. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you, you gave us the setup and you gave us the close. Yep. I did. I did. Yeah. Baseball's a fun game, but T-ball is even better. <laughs> I'm not going to wade into that because me and stick stick and ball is no, we don't. That's not right. a good thing. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's some smart listeners out there who are going to quibble, quibble with my analysis or say it's too simple. The fact remains, uh, bike shops are full of stuff. Uh, prices are low and the weather is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to add another little layer of data on this uh, for the folks playing the home game. Um, yes. Because I know some of them are going, how could they be that massively oversupplied? Well, one of the things that a lot of the factories in Taiwan and China did circa 2020 uh, was to say that uh, your place in the queue was relative to the size of your order. And yes. so everybody went, oh, I need to place a bigger order. So I'm further up in the queue. And so just to be able to say that they had bikes in the pipeline, companies were placing massive orders, orders that were uh, not not hinging upon forecasts but we're, we're entirely predicated on, well, we're dead in the water if we don't have product to sell. Right. So, you know, when people wonder like how, how badly oversupplied could the bike industry be? Uh, I think, I think that, uh, age old phrase of historic proportions might be applicable. I think that's right. I think that's right. I read a fascinating piece the other day. I read a lot of economic writing. I don't know why I find it fascinating, but I read a really interesting piece about why food prices are so high. Mm -hmm. And the gist of it was that more than half of the food in this country gets sold by five different retailers. Mm -hmm. And each of those five demands massive discounts from their suppliers so that they can maintain their position as the go-to place, the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that simple lack, the, the resulting lack of competition, uh, as well as those discounts that you would find at one of those top five retailers, mm-hmm. those get paid for at all the other retailers. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So every time, every time one of those massive big box food purveyors uh gets a discount that money that cost gets passed on to the others the non-top five right like my Um, local chain olivers yeah right exactly 
you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think to yourself, how how can these people be so expensive? They're they're just you know, ye- we think that the problem is going to be local to us. So like mm-hmm. we have a a, a single uh, location grocery store near us, and they are very expensive. And you think, oh well, they're just trying to be the boutique grocery store. They're not. <laughs> For a they're long working. time, I saw those prices, and I thought, you know, well, they just can't buy at the volume that, you know, a target can or a whole foods. And so I just figured that was the price differential that I was saying they're small. They don't get the same pricing. No, it's much more Machiavellian than that. Uh, you know, the, the big retailers are twisting their arms to the point that, you know, oftentimes the profit margin that those giant multinationals that are selling the pop tarts and everything else, uh, to Target and Walmart and whoever, they're only getting a couple points on that stuff. So yeah, mm. they have to make up that profit elsewhere. Uh, but also, uglier still, I know the piece you're talking about. I believe it was New York Times. Uh, it was either that or the Washington Post. Right. Uh, I read it as well. What I found especially dispiriting was that everybody involved in that equation, except for the little retailers, record flipping profits. Yes. Yeah. I bring that up, not because we should all be mad about grocery prices, uh, which we may or may not be, uh, but only to say that the number of factories producing these bikes in Taiwan is also a risk point in the bicycle supply chain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many bicycles from different brands come out of the same factories. Uh, Certainly the ones that can produce at very high volumes, the type of people you go to when you're in a jam and need inventory real quick. Um, And so uh, this may be another instance of uh, allowing a supply chain to rely on too few suppliers. Yeah, I mean, it's even more complicated than that, because if you've got. Uh, and I believe I've noted this in other shows, you know, if you've got like some hydroformed aluminum tube, the tooling for that is at one location. You're going to have to pay for all new tooling to have another factory also produce that bike. The um, same with molds for carbon fiber. You know, one place has uh, everything that you've you've had cut for that particular size of that particular model. Um and so, you know, even just getting one size of a bike produced at another factory, you know, that's going to be a six figure investment. Um, it's Easily. yeah, it's very, very hard for somebody uh, to to switch paths midstream. Um, you really have to gear up for it from the outset of the design of a particular bike. Um, and, you know, I mean. Back to, you know, what that's meaning in terms of pricing uh, in bike shops. Specialized EMTBs uh, like the Levo, Turbo Levo. Some of those are discounted $3,000 right now. May. Mm. $3,000 off. Yes. It's... um, It's just crazy. Uh, And I mean, I know people who... uh, you know, smaller players who have a warehouse full of stuff that's just not moving. Right. And it's, it's really kind of scary. It, 
the ability to disrupt our economy in fresh ways, the way we see gas prices fluctuate. You know, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. And it's um, it's disturbing. It is. It is. I think, uh, again, I'm going to say it a fifth or sixth time. I'm not an economist, but I do think that uh, since the 80s, the general approach to competition and antitrust has swung towards monopolists. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you have fewer oil refiners and you have fewer trucking companies. Uh, The need for goods uh, has rewarded the people who could do massive volumes. And Mm -hmm. rather than cleaving to the idea that competition drives down pricing in a good way for the consumer, I think what we've said over the last 30, 35 years is we're willing to sacrifice uh, that competitiveness for convenience, speed, and volume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not uh, it's not singular to the bike business. Uh, in fact, the bike business has, a, I would say, a, a healthy number of players. There are concerns about what the big four, how the big four treat smaller players. I think that's a w- worthwhile thing thinking about and talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, there are quite a few bike companies um, still at play. Uh, whereas you you see industries like uh, you know cellular uh, insurance, you see massive massive uh, consolidation in a way yeah. that's not helpful. Yeah, uh, one of the interesting things that we are seeing though is that uh, in some markets, uh, the specialized concept stores and the Trek stores. Uh, as they have squeezed out all of the other brands from their floors, their sales have gone down. Yeah, I, I liken it to monoculture agriculture, where if you plant one crop in a field and kill everything else, that one crop will last two, maybe three seasons. Whereas mm-hmm. if you intersperse it with others, you get sort of a a, a benevolent cycle going. Yeah. And your yield yeah. year on year of that single crop may be slightly lower, but it's more durable, et cetera. And I think it's the same thing in bike shops. People, I mean, I for one, um, and I'm not denigrating any of the products you find in those concept stores because a lot of them are very good, but I have zero interest in walking into a bicycle monoculture. I, I walk in those mm-hmm. doors and I look around and I think, nothing interesting here. Yeah, I all just, the... All the personality has been squeezed out of most of those shops. Yeah, it's just not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, people, some people like it, uh, but as to your point, I think those shops don't work very well. I, you know, there's. I never liked the fact that uh, brands like the one that you've worked for, Seven, uh, were often retained by a big shop as a means to get people in the door. And then they would steer them off the seven that they wanted and onto, you know, say a tarmac. Um, I, that, I consider that practice just flat out deceptive. And as a result, ethically, I have a problem with it. 
But it's funny that now that they're not carrying uh, brands like Seven and, you know, Santa Cruz and Ibis and, you know, whoever else. Well, now you've got this situation where, uh, A, those brands can go find a better shop for them. But B, they no longer have people walking in the door looking for a brand other than the only one they carry. Right. You know, and it's one of those things. It's a it's a self-defeating uh, strategy, I think, in the long term. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's not very good for the ecosystem. Yeah, I think it's driven by a short term view that, you know, we got to squeeze more units or more revenue out of a certain thing with very little regard for <laughs> what the market will bear. Which I don't think is that hard to figure out. I, I work with a lot of shop owners. Um and they will tell you that, you know, the rep came to them and said, this is what you should be selling. And it bears no resemblance to reality. Now, mm-hmm. I know a lot of shop owners are pessimistic about what the numbers will be, but they've been trained to be that way over <laughs> over seasons and seasons. Uh, some of them could be better at selling for sure. At the same time, um, I think a lot of the numbers that get generated at company HQs as sales targets are just wishful thinking garbage and are frankly sort of greedy uh, and Mm -hmm. short termist. I think uh, that if you make a good product and many of them do and you deliver it in a good way and you take care of your partners who help you deliver it, you develop a healthy ecosystem for your brand to grow. Yeah, I. I like seeing people play well with others, you know, that was, that was one of the things on my report card when I was in uh, kindergarten or whatever. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking with someone recently about two different brands that I work with uh, and those two brands interact. And there was a situation where uh, there was a customer situation where um, one of them was probably more in the wrong than the other. Uh, someone needed to like take responsibility, lose a little bit of money in order to make a customer happy. And I said, you know, the, the industry is tumultuous and difficult to navigate. And what you really need is friends and sometimes having friends costs and that's okay. Getting along and moving forward is way more important than, you know, some hundreds of dollars on a single deal. And it can be very painful, especially for a smaller company to say, okay, we're going to suck up that loss. But long term, getting along with others is probably the the most important factor in your survival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody holds a dinner party for their friends expecting to make a buck on it. Nope. You, it's a cost. Yep. But you're investing in relationships you care about. Yes. Some partnerships cost and sometimes they cost in ways you didn't foresee. Mm-hmm. That's OK. Yeah. yeah. So it goes. So it goes. Yeah. All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at Seven Cycles. 
We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What are you pulling this week? Well, I'm finalizing my plans to go to Hawaii in June for my father's memorial service. Uh, He passed the end of October of last year. This will be the third time I'll have gone to Hawaii to say goodbye to a family member. Last fall, late October, it was a short visit to say goodbye to my dad in person before he passed. And back in spring of 2015, I flew to Hawaii to inform my father of my sister's passing. Um, I guess I don't have to spell out that going to Hawaii for me isn't what it is for most people. Right. Um, This is one of those occasions where I'm going to solicit our listeners' input, if at all possible. Normally, when I've gone over, I've stayed on the western side of Oahu and ridden up the coast to Kayana Point and explored the dirt road that rounds the point before heading to the North Shore surf spots. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I'll be staying in Waikiki this time, which is a, a, a tourist mecca of a sort that I want nothing to do with. But it'll be good for my boys. Beach time, right? Uh, But also really mostly due to a lack of availability of rooms near the home of my father and his wife. Uh, I'll be bringing a bike, my number 22, um, and need to figure out how and where I can ride in what is a terribly dense urban landscape. Uh, I don't really know how to get out of Honolulu by bike. Or where I might find some dirt close to Honolulu. Uh, So I'm looking for, mm, I'd say, any sort of input on riding. And prior to departure, I can mount either gravel tires, which would be my preference, uh, or just leave the road tires on uh, if there's a chance that I might encounter a group ride or will never ride far enough to get to dirt. One thing I know for sure is that the morning of the memorial, I'll need a ride first thing in the morning to help center me. We often talk about rides that recharge rather than discharge. Um, The rides I'll be looking for, for the most part, will be closer to recharge than discharge. Of all the things I've used bike riding to do, I realized this morning Mourning has been one of the more mysterious benefits. Uh, When my maternal grandmother passed, I brought a bike and rode. When my maternal grandfather passed, I brought a bike and rode. Uh, When I went home from my sister's memorial, I brought a bike. Um, I can't say that I have any particular agenda, but I know that during those rides, even when I'm joined by other people, I spend some to most of my time thinking about that person that I'm there for, you know, reminiscing, doing what I can to honor them by conjuring those best moments I had with that person. 
thinking of the moments I know they would want to be remembered for. And the bike is good for that in a way that very few other things are, at least for me. Um, and while my effort tends to be on the light side, I can't say that those rides really are easy. Um, I've had to pull over on occasion because of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, here's the crazy part. Like I'm just drawing a blank. I know that I know people in Hawaii, but I can't recall who or where in Hawaii they are because, you know, somebody in Hilo is not going to be able to help me with Honolulu um, unless they spend a lot of time there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I need some help. I've got a month um, right about. Uh, so, yeah, I'm soliciting input. Uh, people can make comments at the Cycling Independent or look me up on social media. Uh, apparently I have a little bit more of a presence on Instagram these days. Um, I don't know. Uh, John, what would you lend from your perspective? Well, it's a tough one. Mm. I don't, I'm, I can't help you with Hawaii cause I've not been there myself. Um, as for, uh, how to navigate these moments. The thing that occurs to me, I had this, I had this in sharp detail when my, my own dad, uh, died is that I felt compelled to try to under, he was 80 and I, Mm -hmm. I felt compelled like sitting there with him while he drew final breaths to try to like understand what his life meant. Mm -hmm. Like what, what is the takeaway here? What, what was he about? Um, and when my dad died, that was a particularly helpful thing. And it helped me change my approach to my own life and the people like my own kids and and things like that. The other thing, and this was more the case when my brother passed away was that on some level, you know, these people, and then on another level, you don't. Uh, Mm -hmm. I won't speak to your specific relationship with your dad, uh, but for me, like with my dad and my brother, there was a lot of just weird behavior from each of them. Or I should say weird to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They weren't me, obviously, so they made a bunch of choices I wouldn't have made. And so, uh, particularly with my brother, I came to see him. He's gone now, right? There's no person there anymore i tend to feel about him like a character he's a character and sort of like a a funny one hard one to believe um but i think processing him as a character rather than asking him to still be a person after he's dead Mm -hmm. has been very helpful to me it's helped me sort of accept the the strange choices and behavior that I I never understood uh, and it helped me enjoy more the funny good parts mm-hmm. and and frankly to chuckle over the you know I would say both of them at some point uh, hurt me as you do with the people closest to you yep but I don't I don't feel that hurt anymore I think, wow, what was the character doing there? Like, what was he doing there? 
that was cr- mm-hmm. that was crazy. And then this thing happened. And just to just to feel it as a story rather than trying to m- make it mean something real, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Like they obviously they were real people and we had real relationships. But once the other person's not participating, you're writing the whole story yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so yeah. let letting go of the heavy, like, what's true? Well, I'm never going to know what's true. And we're never going to negotiate it. So what is most useful to me and what helps me see them in the best light? That's kind of the approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I've also been thinking about, uh, you know, in the last few days or so, maybe the last few weeks, uh, my father wasn't always in love with my cycling. Um, and there was one point when he and I were on the phone and he was in the ICU. Uh, he was in really bad shape. And that was the reason my, uh, we didn't tell him when my sister passed, when she passed. Um, Cause we figured he just, he's not in a position where he can take it, but we were on the phone and, uh, he basically implored me to stop riding my bike on the road. Um, yeah. and I came to understand that and other similar instances as being moments of him viewing his own mortality, um, and then turning and shining that light on me. And that certainly, you know, while it, it was difficult for me to have a conversation with someone saying, you need to stop doing this thing that you adore, uh, this thing that helps you be a healthier person. Um, you know, I was able to let go of that and, and give him the grace of him viewing the mortality of someone he loves. Um, that was a big deal for me. Yeah, absolutely. I had the exact same interaction with my own father uh near the end of his life he would say when are you going to stop doing this and when are you going to stop doing that and i said look dad i appreciate that you've got uh uh 33 years more wisdom than i've got but i am having a hard time understanding why it ever makes sense in your life to stop doing things that give you joy um Mm -hmm. for my own Mm -hmm. for my own dad you know he had parkinson's disease and actually joy wasn't uh, wasn't available to him anymore. He didn't have the ga- the chemicals for that. He didn't have the, mm-hmm. the machine that produced joy. And so he, he, he was living a fear-based existence, and I suspect that that happens. Um, yeah, and that is yeah. another thing where you say, well, sitting there with him as he drew his last breaths, I was like, well, I'm not going to do it this way. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to try not to go out sitting in a chair. I may well do so, but I'm going to try not to. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was flashing on something you were sharing before uh, about, you know, turning these people from your life into characters in your own story. Um, a, a sort of parallel thing happened for me um, a couple months after my father passed. <laughs> he and I had a a really challenging relationship. Um, and periodically he would, uh, express his displeasure with me in terms that were mm, not especially kind. 
And so even though in the last two years of his life, we were in a really pretty darn good place for us, um, I did continue to worry that something could send things off the rails again. So there was a certain amount of eggshell walking that I was doing. Um, there was always some, some kind of concern about what could upset this little cart of apples. And a couple months after he passed, I realized, Oh, that's it. The last chapter's written. I don't have to ever live in fear. Ooh. I don't have to have to fear that something will go wrong in my relationship with my father again. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other piece of that for me is that, um, I, uh, I think of myself, uh, less, uh, of course I'm an individual person. Mm -hmm. I'm John Robot Lewis, for Christ's sake. Uh, but I'm also an echo of his DNA. Yeah. Uh, as my kids are echoes of mine. Uh, and so seeing myself in that perspective as just the one that happens to be, you know, sitting in the chair at the moment, <laughs> if that makes mm -hmm. any sense, like he's gone. Now I sit the throne. My kids then move. You know what I mean? Like we are just a long uh, chain of people uh, in two generations. I'll be forgotten. Uh, and so understanding that and accepting it, it lightens the. I can be upset with him if I want, but he is me and I am him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hear you. Um it's um it's a difficult thing to realize that one of the best moments in my relationship with my father was after he passed sure but time is perspective giving and normally these relationships are best at their very best when you have the most perspective on them <laughs> well there's there's a note to end on yeah 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 Okay. Um, yeah, let's get on to baseline picks, why don't we? All right, then. Um, these last few weeks, I've been riding with clear glasses on. You too? Yeah. Yeah. There is so <laughs> much pollen and other natural particulate matter dropping from the sky that some level of eye protection feels very helpful. Uh, unless I need to have a good cry, which, let's, let's be honest... We could all use sometimes. <laughs> I wear the Spy Logan, which is a wraparound style that affords great protection from multiple directions. These are the glasses I've worn for probably 15 years. Uh, I have three pairs, uh, one of which has clear lenses. The Logans are made from Grillamid, which is a lightweight frame material that's super strong. Having driven away with mine on the roof of my car several times and then circling back, uh, picking them up out of the middle of the road uh, and then putting new lenses in them. I can tell you that these glasses are very hard to kill. I think I think each pair has probably been through three lens swaps at this point. 
the Logan is $105 in the clear version, which is expensive. Uh, but as I've just pointed out, they'll last you a long, long time. If you're on a tighter budget, I'd recommend the Tafosi Dolomite 2. Uh, this is another wraparound style made of Grillamid, and they have a Phototech lens in them, which lets the lens adjust to the light conditions. Uh, mm. One feature I really like of the Dolomite is the venting in the lens. You and I have talked about this before. Uh, the spies I wear most of the time don't breathe very well. They can give you hot eye. I don't even know if that's a thing. But they can give you hot eye, especially on humid days. The Dolomite solved that problem by having little vents in the top outside corner of the lens. And they are $79.95. Although everything on the Tafosi site right now is 25% off. So, you know, mm -hmm. Do, mm -hmm. do, do what you feel is best. I highly <laughs> recommend keeping a pair of clear glasses around. I use them in spring, as I said, but also for riding at night uh, and during the winter in very cold temps when watery eyes make reading the trail a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yep. So they yep. aren't just a spring pollen thing. They're, for me, pretty year round. I'm amazed that that pair of spies is still a current model after 15 years. That's that's kind of nutty. I mean, most most companies discontinue models at some point. They do. Um, I don't know why this one still exists, to be frank, except that it's sort of timeless. Like it when you if you look up a wraparound style sunglass in the dictionary, it probably has a picture of these. <laughs> I, I may have to. I, yeah, I may have to look that up. I mean, the nice thing about the spies also is that you, I have never not been able to get replacement lenses for them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. Yeah. Nice sunglasses and clear glasses, for that matter, tend to be quite expensive. Uh, uh -huh. But if you can keep them for a decade, I think they're pretty rationalizable. Is that a, yeah. that a word? It is now. Yeah. Yes. So this coming weekend is the biggest event of the year for me, probably. Uh, it's Wente, which I've mentioned any number of times in the last year since my last visit. Um, no, Wente is not my pick, but the organizer, Bike Monkey, is. And I'm making them my pick because of the great many races and other assorted events I've ridden over the years. Um, they they just continue to do the best produced events that I've ever been to. They offer more different categories than I can possibly count, uh, including some really neat stuff like the over under category for families where a parent pairs with a son or daughter. Um, so uh, in addition to Pete Stetna's Stetna's pay dirt, which took place earlier this month, Get this, Bike Monkey will be putting on four more gravel events this season. Fish Rock is uh, June 10th, Truckee Tahoe Gravel is July 1st, and then they've got two more coming in October. Uh, also worth noting, um, although I'm not nearly as concerned with time uh, these days as I once was, because I'm not a fast guy currently, uh, and may not be again, but Bike Monkey's RFID timing system uh, is the only one I've encountered that seems to go off without a hitch. 
which might be why they have provided timing for the California Enduro series for a number of years. Um, they also will like private label events for other folks. Um, and for anyone looking for an excuse to travel with their bike, uh, their gravel bike, I do recommend coming out for one of their events, particularly Fish Rock, which will satisfy anyone's hankering for Redwoods. Um, I just, yeah, I love their events. They do such a good job. And I'll add, if you don't have a hankering for Redwoods, I wonder what you're hankering for. You know, uh -huh. what are you spending your hankering on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sorry that I'm going to miss Fish Rock this year, and I'm going to miss it for a couple reasons. One, I will be at a trade event uh, that day. Um, there's the E-Revolution show and the Big Gear show in Denver. Uh, so I will be there that day. Um, but also, with that being just a week after Wente, there's no way I'd be able to finish it. What is your current prognosis or pr prediction or uh, what do you how are, how are you feeling going into this? Well, OK, so uh, Boggs got shortened by one hour because it was 42 degrees and raining uh, at eight o'clock. Uh, so I only had eight hours to work with and I did take a nap. Uh, I got four laps and that worked out pretty well because the muscles would not have fifth lapped. Sure. Um, I really want five laps at Wente. It'll be warmer. You know, just the day's going to go smo more smoothly all the way around. And my stretch goal uh, to go all Kickstarter on this. Uh, thanks, Super Dave. Uh, my stretch goal is to try to get a sixth lap, uh, which would equal my my uh, second best performance at Wente. I'm sure it would be sh uh, a longer overall day, though. Are you taking anyone with you? Uh, yeah, yeah. My girlfriend Jennifer's coming. Uh, and she was not at Boggs. She was not at Boggs. Uh, see, I think that's worth a lap. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, between her smiling mug and, uh, uh, good weather. <laughs> yeah. Not, not shivering. Uh, those two things right there. Yeah. That may be good for. Uh, a lap in its own right. Yeah, I, I I feel positive. And and your your fitness level, how would you describe it? Um, emerging. <laughs> you have you risen to middling? Uh, no, I'm not yet at middling. Uh, okay. I'm still uh, at a weight that uh, embarrasses me um, because I hold on to this uh, former view of myself. Uh, one that I, I, you know, if I were kind to myself, I'd let go of that view of myself based on my past. And I would simply embrace who I am right now. And I'm not really there. I, I would like to be more fit than I am, but I know that I'm making progress. I mean, I, uh, I'll, uh, you didn't ask this question, uh, but I'm just going <laughs> to say, because I, as a person in their 50s uh, and a person who does a lot of fitness work with a variety of people, uh, everyone is complaining about the shape of themselves uh, mm -hmm. at this age. And I what I tell everyone, uh, including myself over and over and over again, is that uh, weight doesn't matter. Fitness matters. Stop fixating on what your body, what your, how your body is composed and just 
focus on your lungs, your breathing, your strength, uh, because you you may well find that your peak fitness now does not look like your peak fitness then. Oh, well, there's there's no doubt of that. Uh, the, the most fit I will be at any point this year is not like what what my fitness was and say. 2017 or 18 or 19. Right. And I get, I get that. And that's easy one to get to, but I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, whatever it is, it will never look like that. And you're, if by you're, you're using the wrong measure is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, yeah. mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm doing the things that will help me let go of that in a, in a better way. Because like, um, I, you know, I like good wine. I like good beer. Um, I have had one glass of wine since Boggs, uh, since the three beers that I had immediately following Boggs, I've had one glass of wine. So, you know, I'm doing the things that I need to do to take care of myself so that I can, uh, gain a measure of fitness that, uh, is not currently within these bones. (laughs) Oh, just to find out what's in the bones. That's why we pedal. Anyway. <laughs> uh, on the upside, you know, the, the big thing is that I get to do multiple laps on the single most fun race course I've ever ridden. I mean, you know, it's a bargain at twice the price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> swoopy, flowy mountain bike trails. And a, a bunch of really fun knuckleheads. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to being heckled in manners that I've never been heckled before. Oh, I, I would ask you to record it, but it's too much just to go and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Alrighty, That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, anything? OK, I have no Nothing idea coming what's coming up, up no. on TCI, but I bet it's going to be spicy. <laughs> It'll be good. Yeah. Just not sure what it was. Uh, one of my upcoming picks will be based on my review of the 11 M one by 11, uh, mountain bike that is just crazy, silly, affordable. Um, let's see, this is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, um, do us a favor, click that button and send us questions. That's always a lot of fun. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We also accept prompts. I mean, I think Shadow Producer John gives us prompts less than, more than questions. He's asked for his title to be changed to Pro Bono Producer, which uh, I'm good with. Um, Okay. Offline, we can call him Shadow Producer because I think it's a better thing. But, you know, I know that he's listening right now. And John, if you could just get to your inbox and give us some gas, that'd be great. <laughs> and maybe consider leaving us review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism always accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Pace Line. Mm-hmm.